lot of stuff going on lately with weather and all these uh, different uh, uh, conflicts. So we're grateful today to see you here in church with us. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're certainly grateful you're an honored guest today. And uh, we hope that you uh, get challenged out of the Word of God this morning. Every day we have an opportunity to show God what we value in our Christian life. Uh, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we use our abilities that He gives us. I'm talking about, and we have been for a few weeks, talking about being a steward. The Bible says that uh, it is required that a man be found faithful. That's our theme this year. And so we've been focusing on different areas of our life on uh, being a steward. And so today I want to look at a, a parable that Jesus gave and the things that we can learn from it, uh, some things that will help us, I think, in our Christian life. Matthew chapter 25, we're looking at verse number 14. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained uh, other five talents." Behold, five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto them, him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, but here we have the last one. He which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have gathered er, not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore I have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own usury. I want to talk this morning about being found faithful in our resources. In our resources, are we found faithful? Father, I pray that you'd help us in these few moments together. May we be challenged from your word to be bettered in this area of our life in which all of us, I'm sure, uh, struggle in some uh, capacity. Being found faithful in all of our resources. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What does this parable mean? Uh, who is the man with the servants that goes on a journey? Who, what are the talents that he's giving to his servants here? What does and how does this parable apply to us? Now, it helps whenever you read the Bible to get context. And you have to uh, sometimes broaden the verses you read a little bit to look at the context around it. And uh, as we look at the start of this parable, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is as. And now Jesus has been talking about one subject from the end of chapter 23 on through chapter 24 and into chapter 25. 
Uh, it starts all the way back in chapter 23, verse 39, when he said, For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, the people could see Jesus right then. He was standing in front of them, but he's talking about a time when they would not see him uh, henceforth or anymore. In other words, <clears throat> Jesus is going to go away, and then he's coming back. Now, moving on into chapter 24, uh, verse 3, they asked him, tell us when these things shall be. Uh, Jesus, or the disciples, knew that Jesus was going away, and they knew that he was coming again and wanted to know when that would be. In verse number 27 of chapter 24, the Bible says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now in verse 44, uh, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Uh, not part of the message today, but can I tell you, friend, that Jesus Christ could return today. He could return uh, tomorrow. He could return any time he comes. I really believe that his return is imminent. That means that it is. Uh, it could happen at any time. And I do believe it is the next thing on the Lord's calendar is the return of Christ. Now we get to chapter 25. And Jesus first starts off by telling a parable about the ten virgins. The ten virgins knew that the bridegroom was coming, but they did not know when, but they knew it would be soon. The bridegroom is clearly Jesus. This parable is telling us in chapter 25 that Jesus is coming, and the message in the parable is to be ready. Now, if the message in the parable is to be ready, uh, then what begs the question here, what does it mean to be ready? The answer is found in this passage we just read, the story of the ten talents. That tells us how uh, we ought to prepare ourselves for the return of Christ when he comes back. Now that we've seen the context, who is the man that goes on a journey? Uh, Jesus is the one that is talking about. Uh, he has go he's been talking about going and coming back. So the man re represented here clearly is Jesus, and it follows then that the servants are us, uh, his children. Uh, you and I, Christians, we are the ones uh, that the Bible is talking about when it refers to the servants here. What are the talents that it gives his servants? Well, the literal meaning of the talents in this story is, is money. It was a measurement of money. It was actually quite a large amount of money. But in application, I believe it refers to the skills, the abilities, the talents. Yes, the material wealth that he gives or allows us to have our relationships, in short, all of the resources that we have in our life. That's what's referred to here as the talents. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 uh, is a verse that shows us that one of the truest indicator of our hearts is what we do with our resources, what we do with our material wealth, our uh, material possessions, our spiritual gifts, all those things, what we do with them is a true indicator of our heart. He says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Bible is reverse of what I would think. I would think that our treasure would follow our heart. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our heart follows our treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a direct connection between what we do with our resources and our spiritual health. Luke chapter 16, verse number 11, If therefore ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? That verse says a lot. Basically, the Bible says, listen, if you can't be trusted with a simple paycheck and be faithful to God with that, what? how can God trust you with true riches? So we know that the master represents Jesus. 
The servants represent us. The talents represent our material or spiritual gifts, our resources. As the master gives his servants money here before he departs, Jesus gives each and every one of us resources. The master does not tell the servants what to do with the resources. He simply gives them that, the talents, and then he departs on his journey. How we use the resources that we are blessed with reveals and directs our hearts. God has entrusted many gifts uh, to us for our stewardship. I want to demonstrate that today throughout this message. Uh, whether it be our health, whether it be our time, our relationships, uh, even our material goods, all these things are to be stewarded uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look first of all at the distribution of resources. We see here in this story a wealthy businessman. He's preparing for a lengthy trip. Uh, he calls three of his servants to him. He gave each one of them a large sum of money to manage in his absence. Now, it's important to note that this money was not the servants. He did not give it to them. He gave it to them to manage while he was gone. Later, he would come and there would be a reckoning. The businessman took into account the experience and the ability of the servants. He gave to each one of them a different amount of money. This is important. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes. He gave them what he thought they could handle. And then he left on his journey. Listen, we see here clearly pictured that God is the provider of our resources. Just like the master in Jesus' parable, God is the original source of every blessing. Everything that we have flows from His gracious hand. God is the owner of all things. Every material good uh, in our life is entrusted to our care by Him. Bible's clear on this. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights in which there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof of the world and they that dwell therein. This truth, listen friend, this truth is absolutely essential to our understanding the importance of stewardship. We have to recognize what, where we get what we get from. In other words, we have to look past the distribution point to the source of our blessing. It's so important. I remember the first time I've always taken my daughters, ever since they were little, I've taken them on dates. And we take a, uh, every week I take a different one out on a date and uh, spend some time with them. And, and it's allowed me to uh, form a, a strong relationship with them. And I remember uh, when Sarah was small, my second daughter uh, was just a small child. I took her, we were going out on one of our dates, and we stopped at the bank to get some cash, and the bank was closed, so I went to the ATM. I put in my uh, ATM card, I punched a few buttons, and out came a couple of tens and a couple of fives. I was a youth pastor, so that's all that I could afford at the time. Uh, a couple of tens and a couple of fives came out, and my daughter's eyes became just as big as saucers. Could not believe it. Dad, she said, from now on, whenever we need any money, we can just come here and just put, you just push a few buttons and money comes out of the uh, ATM. They're amazed at that uh, awesome machine. Had no concept of the fact that there's a bank account behind the machine supplying this transaction. Now, friend, your ATM might be your job. 
It might be your investments. It might be uh, your business or your savings account. But the real source of the blessings in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The real source of what we have comes from God. He gave you the ability to do your work. He gave you, He created your brain that allows you to create and perform what you do. He is the source of all good things. We need to remember that. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we see David and the children of Israel, they're preparing to build the temple. And they take up an offering uh, from the people. Uh, they start to give lavish gifts toward the building of the temple. But David recognized that God was the source of all wealth. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10, he said this, Blessed be thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Here he goes on, For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. It's interesting, as the people were bringing gifts and uh, they were bringing lavish gifts and laying them there together and collecting them, David still recognized, Lord, you're really the one who owns it all. Now, is it any surprise then that in verse 6 of that chapter, it says the people gave willingly. Listen, everything changes in our life when we recognize it's all God's anyway. Everything changes. They gave willingly. There's a great security in recognizing that God is the owner of all things. It reminds us that our dependence is not on our financial skill or our success. It needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. John D. Rockefeller said there are three rules to become rich. Ready for them? Here they are. Go to work early. Secondly, stay late. Thirdly, Find oil. Those are his three steps to finding great wealth. John D. Rockefeller. Listen, no matter how you're blessed, no matter what you have, recognize God as the source. Give Him the glory. Even those with great riches, they have no promise of tomorrow. They have no promise that they're going to keep what they have. All you have to do is look at the great depression of the 1930s to see that truth. Our security is in God Himself. If our national economy should fail tomorrow, can I tell you, the Lord will not fail. He is the one that we serve that will never leave us, never forsake us, and never fail. God made it all. God owns it all. And then God gives you and I a little bit of it to steward for Him. You may have five talents. You may have two. You may have one. But God gives you something to steward. Are you found faithful in the stewarding of it. Look at the people here of his provision. We're virtually, we see that we are managers of a trust. The essence of our lives is not ownership. Now, we've talked about this. I won't rehash it, but that's not the purpose of our life is ownership, trying to accumulate things and trying to accumulate more and more in our life and store it up. There's no satisfaction in it. There's no peace in it. There's no joy in it, in and of itself. That's not what life is about. The, 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 the life is not about ownership, but it's rather about stewardship, managing the resources that God has given us as He would have us manage them. Randy Alcorn said a steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets than to carry out his will. Now, 
often when we think about stewardship, or we even hear that word, uh, we, we all usually think about financial stewardship or just relate it primarily to giving. But stewardship, and what I'm talking about today, goes far beyond giving. It is a mistake to think that we can give financially to the work of God and uh, that absolves us from all other responsibility of the Christian life. Stewardship is an accountability in every area recognizing that everything we have belongs to God. That's what stewardship is. Now you say, this, is, this kind of hurts. It, it hurts our flesh a little bit. It hurts our, you know, John, John 15 where it says, without me you can do nothing. That hurts our flesh just a little bit, doesn't it? But really, start going down the list of what you really have. Your life. Now, listen, we, we suffered a tragedy just this last week in Elkton, young man. I didn't know him personally, many of you did. What a tragedy. Life has no promise, folks. We have no promise of tomorrow. But, and, and it could end today. The Bible says life is but a vapor. And I don't know, I, I plan to live for many years. I, I'd love to live a couple more decades, be as old as Jim. You know, it'd be great to live to be that, that uh, ripe old age there, amen? But we have no promise of tomorrow. You can go down the list. Everything that you think you have really isn't in your grasp when it comes down to it. Your wealth, it could be gone just like that. Your life, your health, your family, your wife, your children, it can all be gone. Look at the news and you'll see it happening everywhere. You just need to recognize that really God's in control. Jesus' story that he gave here, we see that the man entrusted his assets to his servants, and I love this, each one according, the Bible says, to his several ability. In other words, the master knew each servant's capacity for success. Now, don't miss this, because this is so good. He did not hold them to a higher standard than their capacity. I like that, because each and every one of our capacity is different. In our stewardship, God blesses us according to our ability to steward. In Mark chapter 14, a woman came into the... Jesus was teaching some people, and his disciples were sitting around, and a woman comes into the group, and she breaks a, an alabaster box, the Bible says, and she pours a very expensive ointment on Jesus' head. And people that were sitting around, they got kind of upset. What a waste, they said. She could have sold that and given the money to charity and helped and, uh, help somebody that was poor, and she just pours it on his head, and it's gone. And I love what Jesus said. Jesus said these words, said, let her alone. And the next verse, he says she had done what she could. First of all, can I tell you something? Whenever you do something for God, you're going to hear two voices. You're going to hear somebody criticize, and then you'll hear Jesus, let her alone. That's what he said, let her alone. She had done what she could. I like that, because I can tell you, she could not preach. She could not go on to the mission field, uh, but she could honor the Lord by showing him that he's more valuable to her than her greatest treasure, pouring it on his head. She could do what she could. Jesus was pleased. Now, he wouldn't have been pleased if that's all Peter did because Peter had more of an ability than she did. But she had done what she could. I love that because God only expects from me what I can do. He only expects from you what you can do. Just do what you can. Be faithful in what you are and what you have. 
Some people make great statements of what they would do for God if they would strike it rich. Man, if I would win the lottery, if I'd be rich and successful like, uh, like uh, anybody rich and successful, I would do this, I would do that. The only problem is that they don't do anything with the resources that they already have. Listen to this statement. It's not what you would do with the million if fortune should be your lot, but what you are doing at present with the dollar and quarter you got. Be faithful where you are. Be faithful in how God's blessed you. The characteristic of a steward's success is not volume, it is faithfulness. And I want to de demonstrate that in just a minute. But the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We are simply to be faithful in whatever God has blessed us with. It might be more for you and less for you and more for you and less for you, but whatever God's blessed you with, you make up your mind. I don't have as much as so-and-so, but I'm going to be faithful what I have. God will bless you for it. Then we see a demonstration of stewardship. There are three servants in Jesus' story. There are three servants, but only two categories. There is faithful and unfaithful. You really are going to fall into one of those categories in your life right now where you're sitting this morning, you're in one of those categories. I can't answer it for you. You can. Between you and God, you know the answer to that. Are you faithful or are you unfaithful? These were the two categories of these three servants. Look at the faithful stewards. Two of the servants, they immediately busied themselves with trading and investing. Both of them doubled what the master gave them. In other words, they made 100% profit. These fellows, the Bible says, went and traded with the same. Uh, the interest that they made were not lucky transactions. They did not play the lottery. The Bible says that the master was gone for a long time, and all that time these servants were consistently doing business with the master's money. They were not involved in get-rich-quick schemes. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. This verse does not talk against being Wealthy, by the way, I mean, there's nothing wrong with wealth. Many godly men in the Bible were very wealthy, and many godly men today are wealthy. It's wealth, God is very, uh, God is very, doesn't, he's not bothered by money or the lack thereof. But it does warn against that desire to be rich at all costs. We need to avoid that type of thinking. Money is a great servant, but it is a terrible master. Don't let it be your master. And it all depends on how you look at your resources, really. This is where you're going to differentiate yourself from the rest of the world. If you look at your resources and you're able to say, hey, it's all from God, uh, it is here for me to steward, and I'm going to try to use it wisely to invest in eternity. Or, the other hand, if you grip and you hold on to it and you use it selfishly, it can become a snare to you. Listen, God did not give you a great singing voice so you could be the American idol. That's all I'm saying. He, he gave you gifts to use for him, not to use for yourself. And by the way, if you use it for yourself, it'll end up in very empty, empty living. That's not where real happiness is anyway. The two faithful servants, they were successful because they maintained the stewardship mentality. Their pleasure... Their pleasure was found in using the master's money there in ways to further his interest, not their interest. 
That's stewardship. Now look at the faithless steward. He panicked. Instead of investing, he went out and dug a hole and he buried it. It was, don't miss this now, it was safe from failure, but it was inaccessible to success. He thought it was doing a good thing. Maybe he listened to Mike Bloomberg. Dug a hole, put it in the ground, covered it with dirt, put some water on it. But it wasn't a seed, so it wasn't going to grow. It was just stuck there. But he reasoned that at least it would be safe. The unfaithful servant, he was the polar opposite of the faithful ones because he sought to protect his own interests. He was not thinking about the master. He was thinking about himself. In so doing, he lost the opportunity for advancement. Oh, friend, can I tell you today, if in the work of Christ your focus is on you, you are not going to get anywhere for God. You've got to be focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where his focus was. As the master pointed out later, he said, you could have at least put it in the bank and I could have gotten my 0.2 interest on it. Something. But he put it in the dirt. Which servant best identifies you today, my friend? Are you found faithful, uh, stewarding the resources that you have for God's glory? Or do you lack faith in God's goodness and hoard the resources for yourself? Sometimes instead of filling our roles, and fulfilling our roles as stewards, we try to manipulate God for our own benefit. A man asked God one time, God, what is a million years to you? And God said, time means nothing. A million years is like a second. And he said, God, what is a million dollars to you? God said, it's like a penny. The man paused and thought for a minute and says, God, may I have a penny? And God said, sure, just a second. About Let's not try to manufacture false success. Let's be found faithful. Look at the day of reckoning. They finally came back. The, the day came that the businessman returned. As you can imagine, one of the things, first things on his agenda was he called for an appointment with these three servants. It was accounting day. Now let me warn you, friend. Your eagerness to see the return of the master will be in direct correlation to what you have to offer him. See, here people, you know, I'm really looking forward to the return of Christ. And then other people, I'm not so much looking forward to the return of Christ. That's going to depend on what you have to offer him. If you're living the way you should, if you're stewarding his resources, if you've made a profit, uh, spiritually speaking, you've been laying up treasure in heaven, hey, we're excited about the return of Christ. But if we're unfaithful, if we've buried our talent, we're not so much going to be looking for the return. There was first, we see a commendation to the faithful. The first two servants, they were eager to show the master uh, their portfolios. And there it was in black and white. They had taken what he gave them, and it had a 100% return. It had doubled his money. The master was pleased, and he praised them. He praised them, and he entrusted them with greater responsibilities. Here's something that I love. Quantity does not matter. Faithfulness is what matters. I want to prove it to you. I want to do a little exercise here. If you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 25, 
I want you to look at verse number 23, okay? You get your eyes on verse number 23, and in just a minute, I want to have you read it aloud while I read verse number 21. I want to read verse 21, but all of you read verse 23. Are you ready? You start reading as I start. Ready? Let's start right now. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Isn't that something? The exact same honor was given to the one who doubled his two that is given to the one who doubled his five. Why? Because quantity is not what God's after. Faithfulness is what God's after. And they were both faithful in what they were given. Oh, you may get discouraged and say, I'm so, I don't have the resources of so-and-so. Well, guess what? God doesn't expect from you what he expects from so-and-so. You just be faithful in what you have. It's easy to talk about faithfulness, but let's look at what stewardship looks like in our day-to-day -day life. I like to bring it home to right where we are. There's five habits in people's lives that are present if they are wisely handling their resources. Number one, that dirty four-letter word nobody likes, work diligently. Work diligently. God blesses hard work. Amen? God blesses work throughout the Bible. God commands diligence. <clears throat> we'll see this especially in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10.4 he, he, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 13.4 The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. That's what I like about the Bible. Fat is a good thing. Amen? I'm not fat. I'm biblical. Amen. That's what I like. Proverbs 22 and 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. Hey, diligence is a character trait. It's not a gift. It's a choice. We need to be willing to work. True, God has gifted some people with a sharp business intuition or given them some natural ability in business, but all of us can develop diligence. All of us can work uh, for the Lord. Are you busy in the work of the Lord? Get involved. Get to work. Amen. Hey, listen, even a mosquito doesn't get a pat on the back until he goes to work. Amen? Go to work for God. Work diligently. Number two, transfer ownership. Everything we have comes from God and belongs to God. But boy, don't we forget that truth. Make a conscious decision in your life, friend, to acknowledge God as the source of your resources. He is our generous provider. When we mentally, we have to do this mentally, we mentally retain the ownership of our own resources, we will end up bankrupt spiritually. The sooner we turn it over to God and act as stewards, the better off we'll be. Oh, listen, friend, it's such a tremendous truth for us to grasp. How much better life is if we stop demanding it all for ourselves. Number three, steward efficiently. There's a two-sided discipline. It requires both contentment and discernment. Recognize that living life trying to keep up with the Joneses is not worth the price. Efficient stewardship <coughs> requires that we live within our means. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. 
And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Sometimes we need to step back and evaluate our financial priorities, our steward, our, uh, our resource priorities. You, you try to get all that you can financially. You get, we got to remember, we're not taking a penny of it with us. Not a penny of it. It's all staying here. Number four, save regularly. Now, it's wise to save as long as we remember that even our savings belong to God. Maintain, uh, even, even in your savings account, maintain that attitude of the Lord. Hey, God, it's yours. It's yours. Whatever you want me to do with it, I'll be directed by you. When any child of mine uh, gets a job, uh, I immediately set in place their budget. You say, preacher, you believe in child labor? Amen. You ought to see how they eat at the house. Believe in child labor. All right. Done the right way. It's kind of quiet in here. I'm worried now. But uh, I set in place their budget. 10% goes to the Lord. Set that aside first. 20% they're free to spend. 70% goes into savings. That's just something I like to try to teach them so they can have responsibility. By the way, can I encourage you, parents, teach your children to tithe early on. I don't care if they're, if they're making a dollar a week, a dime of that better go to God because then when they're making a thousand or two thousand a week, that won't go to the Lord then either. Teach your children to tithe. You are robbing your child of a lifetime of blessing if you don't teach them to tithe. Teach them to tithe. Saving, though, is good discipline. Proverbs eleven sixteen: A gracious woman retaineth honor and strong men retain riches. And then number five. This seems kind of the opposite of what I've been saying, but it's not. It all works together. Give generously. Just as diligence and contentment are disciplines, so is giving. Now, giving, don't miss this here, giving is not an issue of can or can't. Giving is an issue of will or won't. Every one of us can give. In other words, we will be faithful to give based on our willingness, not our prosperity. Our willingness to give to the Lord is a tangible measure of our love for Him. And can I tell you again, God sees beyond the heart, or beyond the amount of the gift to the heart of the giver. Remember the two, uh, two mites given by that widow woman? These men were pouring in big bags of gold. The, the, the history tells us that the Pharisees and different people had trumpeters. So they would, actually have, uh, they would actually have music playing, getting everybody's attention so that they could give the money in sight of everybody. This woman kind of snuck up and threw in two mites. Jesus says she gave more than all of them jokers did before her. Why? She gave all that she had. God looks beyond the amount of the gift to the heart of the giver. It is our love that he desires, not our money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. In God's economy, giving to the work of God is our opportunity to invest in eternity. Giving like no other area. This reveals our sense of accountability and stewardship. Like nothing else, giving will expose where your heart really is. It's an evidence, a reflection of our love. What does the Bible say? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave. We give. It's an evidence of our love. It's an evidence of 
his ownership. Again, by the way, I'm not talking only money here. Now, sometimes we talk about giving and we only think about financially, but we ought to give of our time. We ought to give of our friendship. We ought to give of our encouragement. There may be somebody here that says, hey, I'd love to give, but I don't have any money. Do you have a phone? Call somebody up every day and encourage them. Throw a text out there and encourage somebody. Write a card. Just encouraging somebody and lifting them up. 1602 First Street. You could start with that. Put a check in it. All right, we'll all appreciate it. But no, I'm, I'm being serious. Just invest in people. You don't have to give money. It doesn't have to be financial. Just give of yourself. We get so caught up in thinking, as soon as we hear the word give, we think about it's money, it's money, it's money. No, there's a lot of other things involved. You all know him. He probably likes coming to church here as much or more than anybody else in the whole church. But he can't come in the winter. James Nichols sits right back there in the corner, most of you know him. But he can't come in the winter because of the, the snow, and he's disabled, and he's got some, some challenges uh, mentally and that uh, he, he deals with. And so, But he loves to come to church. And boy, I'm expecting probably tomorrow, if his sunshine continues, I'm going to start getting called. Boy, that snow is gone. I'm going to come to church, preacher. When that snow uh, melts away, he's excited about coming to church. He loves coming here. He has no family in the area, but he loves this church. This church is his family. And I'm just, just encouraging you here. Can you uh, think for a moment of what it would mean if Somebody here would give 15 minutes of their time this week and just drop in and say hi to James from the church. So, you see what I'm saying? It's not all about money. Give of your time. Encourage somebody. Pick up the phone and call them. Uh, pick up the phone and just, hey, thinking about you, praying for you. And that, that does such a great thing to lift other people up. Give of yourself. Listen, give generously. It doesn't have to be cash. It can be just uh, goodwill or giving of yourself. Now, moving on into the condemnation of the unfaithful servant. Here it's time for the third one, giving his report. Now, here's what I find interesting. Before he admits he had made exactly zero interest on this investment, he defends himself. Look at verse number 24. That which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not straw, and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Here's what I find interesting. He starts his excuse by blaming it on the master. See that? I know thou art, you're a real hard man, he said. Blames the master. And then he approaches with that good news, bad news scenario. I got good news and bad news when we are kind of scared about giving the bad news. Good news, master. I didn't lose your talent. It's right here. It's a little dusty and a little dirty, but it's right here. Bad news, I didn't do anything with it either. What was the master's response? Thou wicked, verse 26, and slothful servant. Wicked, slothful servant. Not only had he acted with irresponsibility, with indifference, but he accused his master of being a hard man. And this is what I don't want you to miss today, folks. The master was not a hard man. He was a generous man. By offering this position of stewardship to these men, he had given them the opportunity to better themselves. Look at the other two who were found faithful. They were promoted. They had much now because they had been faithful in a little. He gave them much, much more. This was a generous act. 
the servant's accusation reveals he really does not know the master at all. It's easy to look at God the same way as the unprofitable servant looked at his master. It's not the fact that God is using us to further his interest at our expense. Rather, God is a generous master giving us the opportunity through stewardship to earn great heavenly rewards for all of eternity. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. The best life you can imagine is the one in which you are a steward of what God gives you. The worst life you can imagine is a self-focused, self-centered, greedy kind of life. Look at the world. That's all you have to do and you see that to be true. So what do we do with the resources that God gives us? It has eternal, for, eternal ramifications, what you do with what God gives you. One day you're going to stand before Christ, every single one of you and me, every single one of us one day will stand before Christ. Your mom won't be there with you. Your dad won't be there with you. Your spouse won't be there with you. It'll be you and Christ, mano a mano, and you're going to have to look him in the eye. And the Bible says in Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. In that day, Christ will not ask you how much you have amassed. He will not ask you what size a bank account or house that you had. He will ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you a talent. I gave you ability. I gave you material resources. I gave you spiritual gifts. What did you do with it? Oh, I don't want to be that third servant that comes up and say, Lord, I, I wasted it. I buried it in the ground. I didn't use it for you. I wasted it. I don't want to be that person, and I'm sure you don't either. Don't you long at the end of your life to hear the Lord rejoice over your life? Don't you want him to say what he says here in verse 21? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. I don't know about you, friend, but that's what I want to hear. Are you found faithful? He's simply wanting you to be faithful in the resources that you've been given. Are you found faithful today? Let's have every head bowed.